Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I think it often comes across that the US players are potentially more cutthroat or more calculated in kind of the decisions we make. Howdy friends, in today's episode we talk to two successful henchmen out of the UK and we learn what they do to grow their community, to foster it, and uh, how to get a ton of people to show up at their events. All of you henchmen out there should find it interesting, but anybody who cares about their Malifaux community I think is going to learn some neat things. They talk about uh, some neat raffle ideas they do for their events, um, how they demo to hook in new players, and we also have a real interesting discussion at the end um, about uh, perceptions on the American approach to the game versus the UK approach to the game. Uh, we try to answer the question on whether the uh, American players are different than the players in the UK. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we have two well-known henchmen from the UK on the show, Carl Lee and David Brown. Now, Carl's a henchman running a meta in Warrington and Stockport, and you've seen his name at the top third of many event results. He's a very good painter, and he's done a lot for growing the Malifaux community over there in the UK. So, Carl, welcome to the third floor. Hi, Craig. How you doing? Good, my friend. So the first thing I always like to find out from guests is kind of what got you into tabletop gaming and how you found Malifaux. So yeah, um, to be honest with tabletop gaming, it was probably <clears throat> like 20 years ago. Um, typically my older brother, um, and our cousins got into, um, as pretty much everyone did at some point, uh, Warhammer Fantasy. So, you know, being my younger brother, I kind of got a little bit jealous and wanted to get involved. Um, so that kind of kicked it off, but it was, it was probably post uni, um, and towards the end of fantasy when again, my brother, uh, got me a Lilith box set and nice. I can't stand Neverborn. So um, <laughs> it, it, it put me off the game a little bit. Um, and then one time I was just at Element and I, I saw the, um, the Latigos, you know, the Ortega family box set. Oh yeah. I bought that kind of never looked back. Um, you know, a, a Black Friday came a few weeks later and as you know, 300 pounds lighter. So <laughs> and it just went from there really. Yeah, Perdita was my, my was the crew box that got me into the game too, um, and I was a guild player for uh, first couple of years that I was playing. So you mentioned that you hate Neverborn. Is it the aesthetic, or why do you hate Neverborn? Um, I think it's a little bit, yeah, like you said, the aesthetic, the way we look. Um, I've, 
aside from Kalodi, who was probably the least never born looking one, none of them really mm-hmm. appealed to me. But then also, um, like my brother, uh, played never born and particularly Lilith for, um, the majority of M2E. So yeah. I just, like, we, we kind of didn't want to play the same thing, but yeah, he had some guild and then, um, yeah, never really played them because yeah, I was always playing guild as well. So we kind of blocked each other out of the faction a little bit. So you're a henchman, Carl. Um, at what point did you kind of that decision get made where you said, you know what, I'm going to be more than just a player. I'm going to apply and become a henchman. Was there something that kind of pushed you that direction? Yeah. So, um, what it was, I, I actually moved back home, um, or to the, the town I grew up in, should I say. And, um, yeah, there, there's always kind of a tabletop presence, but there's kind of a, a minimal Malifaux presence. Yeah. People knew of it. People had played first edition. A lot of people had crews, but, yeah, as in most kind of areas, it, it was just very Games Workshop dominated. So, you know, I kind of thought, I've got some free time. You know, I want to continue getting, um, you know, regular games in. So, um, you know, I, I put the application in. Um, and then, yeah, just it kind of went from there, really. It where I actually, uh, like I said, my hometown was quite a tough nut to crack. Um, it kind of kicked off properly when, I actually moved because I, I got a new job. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I moved to, to just outside of Warrington and there's a hobby store opening up who had reached out to weird specifically because they wanted to, to stock Malifaux and they wanted to, um, you know, have active players. So, um, yeah, the, the henchman wrangler at the time, uh, got in touch with me and, and kind of, you know, put us uh in contact with each other and yeah after that yeah we had demo days leagues um a couple of tournaments and yeah it all, it all kind of kicked off from there very cool very cool well, other guess is uh is david so david you're a henchman you're running out of uh the milton Keynes area um and, but you put a do events in a variety of venues and probably what most of our listeners will know your name from is you run the uk national event and uh Someday I'm going to get up, get over there for that because that's been just one of my dreams because I could always consider that one of the probably the coolest events. And from what I'm hearing, you're hoping that it's going to be uh, bigger this year than it's ever been before, which uh, makes me happy considering the addition change. So, David, welcome to the third floor. Hello. Welcome. I'm uh, pleased to be on the on the podcast for the change. And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it'll be next year that will be the biggest one. Gotcha. Uh, this year, gotcha. this year we're, I'll, I'll just check the numbers, we're 83 players. That's still pretty big, man. Which is That's not bad. Big. Uh, yeah, so how have, many, the, what's the, what's the largest so far? The record is a hundred, is a 120. Wow. Uh, which was, uh, wasn't me as the organizer, but, uh, I was helping with that. Uh, yeah, cause of, that, that changed hands, right? Um, yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's been various people because originally it was the UK GT. Right. Um, and then, and that was run by, uh, Joe. And then, uh, I ran it actually the first year of M2E. So we had 30, something like 35 players first year of M2E because that was, you know, that was obviously a difficult, t- another change over time. And then right. Mike, Mike Marshall took it over and brought it up to the 120 mark. Um, and then it's 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 dropped off. Last year we had, I think, eighty eight players on the day. There were quite a lot of dropouts because um, partly because of M three E being announced. I think, and a lot of people went, "Oh, wait around for that." 
Yeah. So uh, it's um, I've actually probably sold fifteen tickets for the last week and a half. <laughs> so that's I'm, incredible. I'm, I'm trying to get the the numbers tied down because I've got a book. I have to hire the tables and um, you know, sort of book the swag and stuff. So I'm trying to get the the numbers tied down in the next week or so. So how how, how do you David? How do you come up with uh, the, all that terrain? I mean, we're I mean, right now you're talking what forty five tables of terrain? Yeah, it's in my garage. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I you, have, you're te- I, you're telling me you have forty tables worth of terrain in your garage? Yes. Wow, it's crazy. And I keep saying, yeah. Every, uh, about the last couple of years, I've said no more terrain. And I went to a show today down in London <laughs> and came back with some some crates and some barrels and a wagon. So they were a good price, and I need a bit more scale. You never have too much scatter. So yeah. <laughs> so I keep so doing is that. that. You've just accumulated it over time, David. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's quite interesting because I've been I've been playing Malifaux since it came out. And I was at sh- I was at the show. I know um, Graham from Simple Miniature Games, who's one of the distributors, and I've been working with him for thirteen, fourteen years doing mm-hmm. demos. We started off doing um, confrontation, and then uh, eighty forty three, which was a Rackham like sci fi unit game, and I was demoing that at show. Um, and Malifaux was at the show, first first show. And uh, so I picked up the rule book um, the night. Oh, it was a two-day show and sort of started reading the rule book and just reading the fluff and just thinking, this is this sounds brilliant. Uh, had a quick demo the following day, which wasn't very good. The demo, the people running the demo just tried to do, trying to do four-player on a four-by-four board. And yeah. it just didn't, I imagine it didn't work. Um, but I did go home with three crew boxes, a rule book, <laughs> fate deck, um, and um, yeah, it's um, it's gone downhill from there, really. So, David, so you started with first edition, so obviously you've gone through one, one point five, two, and now into three. Um, it, for, I know there's a lot of people that listen that um, you know never never played anything. I mean, I never played one or one point five. Uh, and a lot of listeners only play two, and we do have listeners now that have only played three. Can you give kind of the the short description of each of each of those uh, uh, editions so people can kind of get an idea of the difference between them? Oh dear! So, um, so the big, biggest change, if there's one change I wanted to highlight, it'd be the Red Joker. So in first edition, Red Joker damage was flip another card and add that damage. Mm-hmm. So you could do severe, severe. Gotcha. Yeah, and then second edition, we went to uh, severe plus weak, and now we're down to severe plus one. Yeah, so it's, it's, actually, it's, it's taken it. We've taken the edge. The other thing in first edition, you could use a solstice to flip an additional card, so you could get some ridiculously high scores, and it and that was very depressing because you'd see somebody over the other side table with a thirty-one, and you'd go, "Well, I can't <laughs> close to that," you know. Uh, especially yeah, the way, especially the way I flip cards, and um, <laughs> so it was. It was the, the the basic system was there using cards. I found really good, yeah, uh, um, and and a really interesting mechanic. And it's probably the one thing that that separates fundamentally the game from 
almost any free other game, even some that use cards. And that's I think that appeals to, to a lot of people. And the other area that I think makes Manifold unique is the aesthetic. Yeah. It looks great. If you've got a good board and some beautiful models, you can get people, you draw people in. I've, I've run demos at a lot of shows over the last 10 years. And what has drawn a lot of people in is the terrain. So we were, we were talking before about how I started doing terrain and I, I bought some of the, remember the first MDF terrain came out, which was all Wild West themed and getting as many queries about the terrain as about the, about the game actually. And people go, where did you get that? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard when, when you've got a, a a Malifaux board built with good painted terrain and two good, well-painted models or crews on the board, there's few things prettier. Totally agree with that. And, uh, as I say, we've been, I, I run a lot of shows. I'm not less so now, but still do. I, I still do the, some of the bigger shows like Salute, which is a big sh- one day show in London, uh, which I've been going to for more, more years than I care to remember, to be honest. Um, running, running demos of various things in Manifold for the last, I think eight of the last 10 years I've run Manifold demos. And the, one of the years I didn't do it, I was doing Puppet Wars. Um, wow. So you, you've been a weird guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah some some cool. people would say that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> spelled both ways, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Carl, how about you? I mean, you uh, did you start way back in one, or uh, were you just pretty much just two? Um, I was pretty much just two. Uh, pretty much came in um, the third book. <clears throat> uh, so Shifting Loyalties, I think it was. Um, yeah, we, we dabbled a little bit, uh, kind of in, uh, the book before. So the crossroads book, I think it was, uh, and then, yeah, we really kind of, uh, probably picked up the competitive side of it, uh, book four, book five. So probably, yeah, I think we, really, we, we got a good like, year of, you know, really taking it seriously. Um, but yeah, I was just going to say to echo what, um, what Dave said for me, Kind of, I don't feel like I can go to another game now because of like, the card mechanic works so well, um, and it just offers a level of control that other games don't have, and I, I think that's why it's so suitable for for being a competitive game. Um, just the measure of control and how much influence you can actually put into the game. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons um, that kind of drove me to actually take it uh, upon myself to improve as a yeah, as a player, um, and to play more competitively, because in Warhammer and and things like that, I, I did. I went to events, but um, I was never, I never had the drive to want to run my own events or um, even the drive to to go to, you know, more than a couple of events a year. Where in Malifaux, I can I can probably say I'll, I'll run four events and attend ten um, at least. So. Yeah, I I mean, I couldn't agree with either, uh, both of you more. I mean, uh, I never was a competitive gamer, even though I've been you know playing tabletop games for 20, 25 years now. Uh, Malifaux was the first time I ever said, you know, I, I want to compete. 
playing this. And, and it has to do with um, the fact that I think player agency is, is so much more prominent um, in this game versus other games. And it's because of that, you know, the random number generator and the control hand that the cards create for you are just superior to dice. And um, as, as was mentioned, it's really hard to go back to dice um, after you get used to get used to the card mechanic. And uh, I thought it was interesting, David, when you're talking about kind of the red jokers, um, uh, evolution over the additions because everything you just talked about is, you know, minimizing the amount of spiking that we see, um, you know, that, that red Joker does, which again, kind of brings everything's towards the center of the bell curve a little bit more. Um, and when you, when your random number generators, um, are fitting a, uh, a, a tall bell curve, that means that what the decisions the players are making, um, have even more impact. So, um, it sounds like, uh, my love of the game and the reason that I, you know, it's my favorite tabletop game is, is quite similar to yours for the same reasons. Um, so guys, what are one of the things I want to try to do today is I, I want to learn really about your individual communities a little bit. I want to talk about the events you run and how you run them. And uh, what I'm hoping is for the listeners out there that one, for those of you that are listening that are henchmen or are thinking of become henchmen, these are two gentlemen that have, you know, been doing it for a while and they've been very successful at it. So hopefully we'll be able to give you guys some insights and some t- tricks and tips on, you know, how to foster, grow and, uh, create, you know, a good community and then, you know, run good events. But for those listeners out there that aren't henchmen, I think it's good for us to get the perspective from the henchman side. Um, for so many of us, um, you know, without these henchmen out there doing, uh, work, um, for free, uh, it takes a tremendous amount of work. Um, I think that we all appreciate what they do. And really, I think, you know, hearing from them a little bit more and getting some insights on, you know, how they do it, why they do it, um, and what we as players maybe can do to help them out even more should be helpful. Um, and the other thing I'm really curious about, and we'll do before the end of the show, is kind of talk about the differences between the UK and the US. Um, here on the show, I've had, um, you know, several uh, guests from the UK on and have developed some friendships as a result of it. And I'm really starting to get a sense that there's um, a, a kind of a, a belief that there's a difference between uh, kind of the how the two countries approach the game. Um, so I think we'll talk through that. So first off, David, can we talk a little bit about um, kind of your meta? So the, the, the group of people that uh, you're, you know, fostering and hurting um, uh, there. Uh, can you give us an idea kind of how many regular players uh, are kind of in your, your group? So at my local store, there's very few regular players at the moment. Um, there's probably only two or three of us regularly playing. Um, and that's because of uh, family commitments, work commitments. That's taken at least three or four of my local players. Um to a position where they can't really play. I mean, I played Owen yeah. this week and I haven't seen him for like two months because he's got family commitments. So within the very immediate community, um, that's, that's the case. But then I see people on a broader basis because I, I will travel. Um, and also there's a lot more people now, um, you know, running their own communities. And grow in their own communities. Whereas when I first, you know, as a, as a henchman, it was, uh, I was, I was pushing communities in, in a, over a much wider area and traveling right. further to, 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 to get people started by either going to clubs or running demos or, or doing shows. Um, and so there's less need to do that because there's more people playing. It's got more of a, um, 
more momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I, my, I, I don't get so many different people to play locally. Um, but I would, I like on Friday, I traveled. I, didn't, I know it doesn't sound very far by American standards, but I like about 40 minutes drive and played, uh, a friend of mine, Graham, who I've not seen, probably seen for two years, played and we had a, uh, we had a game and I'm, you know, so I'm having to travel a bit further to get a bit more variety of games, but we play, we play quite a lot of tournaments and, um, for me, that's just um, extra game. So I don't, I'm not going to tournaments to um, to win, um, but uh, right. just to just to play different people and and, and uh, have an enjoyable day or an enjoyable weekend playing playing some different games of Manifold. Yeah, um, and that's that is something I do love about tournaments. Is um, if, again, as most people who listen know, I'm not good at this game. Um, so obviously I'm not playing in tournaments to win because I don't do that. But, uh, my favorite thing is just, you know, at Nova, I got five games, uh, over a two day period. And, uh, you talk about the, you know, tournament before I ended up playing like 10 games total over the weekend. And, uh, that's just fun. That's just fun. Especially if you love the game, Carl, how about mm-hmm. your community? How, how big is your groups? Um, so <clears throat> my community is quite, um, individual, uh, I'd like to say, because, uh, again, being in the UK, we have a much kind of smaller area to cover, but, uh, in the area I was, um, there's quite a lot of fragmented, uh, individual communities. So probably the toughest thing for me was trying to get everyone in that area playing together. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, the, the store that I was actually running, uh, my first set of events out of closed down, um, because, you know, it's, it's quite a tough environment and, um, hobby stores, you know, need to be run, I think, pretty well to, to su- survive, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, what, what that kind of did was it started to show people in the, in the local, like the northwest of England that there are going to be events and there are people trying to, uh, make these more regular. So, um, kind of in, in my, like I, I like, I'd like to call them meta or our group. Um, we'll have like a, a few from Chester, which is obviously like Alex Drake, who you know, yeah. um, his partner Emma, and then some of their friends. And then I have, um, a, a local who, um, a Polish chap called Radek and yeah, he's quite proficient as well. Um, and then, but yeah, we, we pick up, um, players from all over the, uh, from all over the Northwest. And what, what's quite nice actually is a player I gave a demo to, um, probably just over two years ago has started building his own community. Oh, um, that's so cool. In, in the area where, um, I tried and, and didn't really, um, get much. Mm-hmm. So whether, you know, whether that was because M2E was quite difficult to get into or, um, you know, M3 just got people buzzing. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, he's doing great. And, um, I think the first week he had 18 players, you know, show up for, um, like a league night and some pickup games. And then, you know, it, it's rotated between 10 and 18 players like pretty, pretty frequently. Um, so again, you know, I, I'm similar to Dave where I don't have, um, a host of players who will show up on Tuesday and there's going to be 10 of us, right. um, you know, getting in two games and, um, you know, having a good old chat, but, um, we, because we all are, you know, probably within an hour and a half of each other in the, 
you know, in that area. Um, we come together for events, we, we travel for events. And yeah, I think as a henchman for me, it was more so getting each element of, of the different locations showing up and uh, supporting events and just, you know, from there building quite a lot. Um, cause yeah, a lot of the, the local events that I first ran usually sold out. So it was between like 14 and 18 players. Nice. Um, and the majority of them were local, give or take, you know, um, a few who would support from a bit further afield. Um, and yeah, just, just those becoming regular occurrences really got people just playing regularly and, um, you know, like I said, traveling to more events and, um, you know, clawing my way up the rankings and kind of showing our area for, you know, quite a, um, a strong little meta, to be honest. Sure. Sure. Now you, uh, you know, you mentioned Carl, the, the, the shop closing and, uh, I'm curious cause here in the U S um, the best thing ever happened to tabletop gaming is magic, the gathering, because that's what keeps, the stores open. That's the mm-hmm. reason we have tables. That's the reason we have stores that carry tabletop gaming because nobody, nobody uh, is keeping their doors open because of uh, tabletop gaming. Is magic as big um, over there as it is here? Is it the same thing where the stores are kept open because of magic? Um, Certainly, where I'm, but the store I play, it uh, covers everything. I mean, but the magic is it's obviously a big income generator for them. They also do. They've got a massive store of stock of. Board games, uh, board games is probably fifty percent of their stock. Um, and then he's he's um, the, the guy who runs it's got two stores, and he's also got he's had, he's he's had a board game cafe as well, which which didn't quite work out, but he's now moved that into next door to where the the gaming store is on a smaller scale. So everything, anything to try and generate money, but yeah, magic is uh, is still pretty, yeah. pretty big. Yeah, and I think that works, um, uh, sorry, applies as well to, to my area. So the, the store, um, that I henched out of, and it, it quite possibly is the reason why it didn't last. Um, the owner just wasn't a fan of card games and he only really picked card games up when probably the store was already kind of on its arse, if I'm being honest. Right. Um, so yeah, not embracing one side of it. Um, made the the other side suffer so not embracing the card side of it meant that you know in time there was you know the knock-on effect onto the the tabletop side which was just you know the store couldn't continue to run um yeah amongst other things yeah it's tough i mean uh you know one of the things that i you know i try to get players here to always you know do as often as they can is you know the price you know like miniature market will run a sale and you know you'll see 30 percent off 40 percent off boxes and it's so tempting but um you know if you can if you can just eat the couple bucks and order it through your local store it makes a big difference as far as keeping the you know the game alive and the store going and the store supporting the game um we're never going to compete generating the revenue that uh magic the gathering does because it's a different model um i mean once you buy a crew box and get it painted up you're not going to buy that crew box again um and that's going to you know get you through um and you know for me like you know the two factions that I play, I've pretty much bought all the models. So just, it's just going to be new stuff that comes out or nightmare stuff that comes out for me that, you know, will drive that. Whereas magic gathering, I mean, it, uh, 
they're you know it's as bad as GW players are. Magic the Gathering players are just it's ridiculous. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But that's good for the stores um, that that money is getting spent. So guys, let's take a quick break. And when we get back from this break, I want to talk a little bit more about how each of you handled um, what I call the desert, which was the time between when uh, third edition leaked and when the beta open beta started, and talk a little bit more about um, you know what you guys see as uh, effective ways to kind of foster and grow a community. So we'll, we'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. It's really fascinating to hear, um, you know, uh, how each of your communities are pretty unique and uh, just how different things are uh, from your side to our side. I mean, we're really spoiled here in the Carolinas um, on the East Coast of the U.S. because we have uh, three uh, really successful game stores all within 15, 20 minutes of each other. Uh, and each one has their own Malifaux night, let alone nights for other games. Um, but, uh, you know, you guys are talking about, you know, traveling 40 miles, um, to play a game. And that's something that all of us will do, you know, in a blink of an eye, um, here. And of course, that's just the differences from a, a geographical sense. Um, but one thing that happened here, um, that I think really happened on a global sense is, um, you know, I, I prematurely, the existence of a third edition of this game kind of leaked out. Um, I get the feeling that when it happened, um, weird scrambled to the announcement much sooner than they wanted to. Uh, and it rolled out in a way that they, uh, I don't think they had planned for. And the, you know, the game suffered. Um, now, luckily for us here in the Carolinas, as soon as the closed beta, um, got into place and it kind of more beta players, uh, locally we're starting to play and then when the open beta came in uh we had a huge surge um but i'd be curious to know david um how much of an impact was that you know those almost a year's time between the uh the leaked announcement and um the uh, open beta um did that have a huge impact on the level of activity in your area yeah certainly we um though we didn't see i didn't see too much locally uh, the impact on, for example, on the, the UK nationals was we went from 120 tickets sold to 88 players in yeah. attendance. And although some of that was, you know, just the, the natural dropout, you know, life happening to people, there was certainly uh, a fair number of that was people who decided, well, okay, the edition's going to change. I'm not going to invest any more time in, in second edition. Um, I'll wait till third or I'll go and play something else and some of those players are certainly coming back certainly good to see um recently at events players um coming back to the game who've been away and played uh guild ball or uh, aos or whatever and are coming back finding third edition finding it's a great game um and uh enjoying themselves at events and, and has that pretty much i mean for those because that's an interesting perspective david it ha- has it been pretty much positive for those returning players when they when they look and play th- uh, third edition 
uh, I've heard very little negative. Yeah. Very little negative. Uh, those who are coming back are finding that, uh, that there are enough differences. I mean, the way the strats and schemes work is, is quite different. And uh, although most of the crews run in a similar, similar way, and a lot of people like the, the keyword and the thematic element, and especially those who, who, who like me, played in that way in the previous editions, um, it, it, it ties that in and it's, um, it does seem to be quite popular. And I think even though the very competitive players, uh, and we do have some very competitive players in the, in the UK, um, I find the challenge, um, really, really satisfying. So I think even though that we, before they, you know, where you could, you could pick anything yep. more or less, um, I think they're finding that the challenge of, right, how can I make the best use within this restriction? Um, and that's that, that's so I'm getting positive feedback from that, from, the, from those when I talk to uh, sort of the flipping weeds, for example. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting similar stuff when I when I talk to um, you know people that are returning back to the game, and there's still still friends out there that um, were were very regular two uh, e players that I haven't completely roped back in again, um, and if, it's a little frustrating because I do think that if they uh, approached it and saw it or if uh, you know if these players had never played two and came to three that they would just lose their mind and love it um but um i, I mean i have i have a, uh, some friends that are a, kind of angry uh at weird um angry about uh kind of the leak and you know and i don't know why they're necessarily angry at weird for that but um and then you know the desert um that happened afterwards um and they you know that was built on some frustrations that they've had about uh the supply um, at, you know, during two E the releases and sometimes it was tough to get some things and things were coming out late and that coupled with, I think we're seeing a little bit of that here, of course, at the new edition change though, from my understanding, it's not nearly as bad as it was from one to two. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It's a better game. How about, how about you, Carl? Did you have, did it have a huge impact on uh, the activity in your area? Um, funnily enough, it actually, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it actually didn't really affect us that much. Um, but mostly because, so again, because we was quite a new meta and we was all kind of quite new into playing events um, as a group, um, a lot of us had kind of really got keen. Um, you know, we had really taken up that mantle to improve as players and to um, like kind of give being competitive a go. So, um, you know, we actually kind of all had the mentality that, well, we knew an edition was going to come anyway at some point. We we didn't mm-hmm. know. Obviously, it wasn't released and it wasn't leaked and there wasn't, um, it wasn't knowledge. But logically, we, we all knew that it was getting to a point where it needed um, an edition yeah. revision. So we kind of carried on, um, you know, business as normal, if, if anything, and um, kind of, to close off M2E, uh, I actually ran like a, um, a goodbye M2E tournament. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we, everyone had a, a good time and weird gave us, uh, like a load of nice prizes. Um, and yeah, it was kind of, we, we put a benchmark then and, um, said, you know, this is kind of like the last event I'll run, a, uh, for M2E. And, you know, yeah. we'll see kind of what comes with the beta because a couple of them were there. A couple of us were in that and playing. But also, um, you know, we, we had, uh, obviously Alex was, um, 
it was his first time in, in the UK Masters as well. So um, we all kind of kept playing because we wanted him to do the best he could. Um, so, you know, we were playing <laughs> games with him. So, uh, you know, he could get games in against stuff he hadn't played. And, um, you know, a couple of the others were, were close to Masters and were trying to push for it. Um, but then as well, we, we, we traveled down and went to the... Um, uh, the Masters side event. So, you know, we all kind of had to keep, uh, you know, an eye in M2E as well as sure. keeping an eye on M3E to give constructive um, criticism and feedback for the beta. So, yeah, it, it really didn't hit us. And I, I think predominantly it was because we did have quite a few new players um, or yeah. kind of uh, youthful players um, in their kind of Malifaux career. Um, but I mean, in terms of M3E, it's um, all the people who enjoyed M- M2E in our group um, have stuck by it and and like it more because it's it's cleaner and like Dave said, you know, it's got the keyword and it just makes sense. You know, it's a lot more logical and you're not seeing as many kind of all star crews. But um, and then also we're getting those uh, again people who haven't. Um, played Malifaux for a long time coming back to it and um it's quite funny like I see some people who when Malifaux was it was at its worst or you know weird would were at their worst so to speak we moved to Gilball and really you know scratched the competitive itch with Guildball but now right. those people are moving back to Malifaux because there are quite a few of them kind of Guildball has Gone, gone a little stale or you know there's mm-hmm. something that isn't fulfilling what they want anymore and they're finding that um, coming back to M3E is scratching that itch and getting what kind of they want um, obviously it's not it's not perfect and um, you know I don't think any game ever will be but uh, yeah I prefer it from second edition and um, a lot of the changes I feel make it just a lot more accessible for players. Yeah, that's, I think that's a big thing, Carl, is that it, it, it's, it, the game is much easier to put in front of somebody new, um, than it, than it was, it, I think at any point too, but especially towards the end of two. Um, and you know, you mentioned Guild Ball. Um, uh, it's funny how that, that, uh, Guild Ball was kind of so the gateway drug to competitive play for some of your players. Um, it, uh, Guild Ball is, is my second favorite, um, tabletop game. Um, it, it, Guild Ball is a really, really good game. Um, the rules are tighter. Uh, than they are in Balafoe. Um, and uh, it, it's good. The The problem I have, or the reason, not the problem, the reason that I think Malifaux is better for me is uh, Guild Ball, I kind of consider as a solvable game um, because partially because of how tight it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can really, it's, it's, you can actually identify the best play. You can, you can find uh, the best sequence. Um, and, Whereas in Malifaux, there, there's so many factors involved. Um, there's such a, a huge, um, variety of abilities and approaches to scoring in Malifaux. And, uh, you know, again, we talked about the player agency. I just, Malifaux is a deeper game than Guild Ball. Um, but Guild Ball is a good game, but I, I could see, you know, you, you talk about those players that went out, they played Guild Ball, um, and the, it kind of ran its course and they came back to Malifaux. I completely get that because that's, that's kind of what um, I felt. Um, 
uh, with that as well. But uh, it sounds like, you know, the, the reception of three has been good, which, uh, which I like. Um, so one thing, Carl, um, have you, for other henchmen that are out there right now listening, is there anything that you think that you do that has really helped kind of keep, keep your community going and help fostering it? Or are there things that you have discovered that um, allow you to be successful as a henchman? Probably the, the main thing for me is whenever I'm approaching an event or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking what, uh, what, when I started henching and, um, yeah, the first couple of events, I was like, what, what do I want? What, why are people going to stay and come to this event and support me? You know, they've got no reason to. Um, and the, the thing that hit me is I, I wanted to make an event that I would go to and I'd go to frequently, you know, um, I'd have loyalty to, to the event. And, um, yeah. when I was playing Warhammer Fantasy, there's, there's one particular event that, um, they always did a, a great job. Um, and it was a, a series of events called a gathering of might. And uh, the guy who ran it just, it was, it was an absolute joyful event. You know, it was, um, there's so many things that was done, uh, correctly and just made you want to go back. So, um, yeah, when I was playing fantasy, that was one of the few events that I went to quite a lot, um, and generally had a good experience. And I think I applied that sort of, um, ideology to my events. Um, and it was just, yeah, I, I want to make an event that somewhat, uh, that I would go to, um, and that, yeah, um, it ticks the boxes for me. So, um, a big bit was making sure that, you know, uh, for the people who win, you know, there's, there's good quality trophies because, you know, you, yep. you want to show off that you've done well. Um, and, and not everyone, you know, obviously some people are a little more subdued about it, but it's nice to have, um, something that's quite commemorative of, um, mm-hmm. doing well. But then also I wanted to, you know, make sure that people who had really nice painted crews would win, you know, a nice best painted trophy. And I wanted to make sure that there's always, um, kind of unique and good prizes, um, available and just, just other things, you know, and I kind of, I'd make sure, um, to take the time to make the encounters seem kind of logical and make it quite difficult. And I think, um, one of the episodes you did in you where you're talking to Owen and, you know, he was, I think a lot of people seem to really enjoy the curated, uh, encounters he did for Nova and, yeah. That's something that, you know, where possible, I, I try and do so. And it's, I wouldn't want it where, you know, one thing is so obvious, um, that people won't want to take it because, um, it just sticks out like, a, like a sore thumb, you know, it's just a, an easy telegraph, um, because of what right. else is in the pool. So yeah, that was my kind of main approach is just hitting the different areas that will appeal to the different type of player to make sure that, um, you know, each event just leaves a good impression on, on the person who's come because you know, they're spending their money, they're taking the time out of a day to come and we don't have to. And, um, so yeah, for me, that's just, um, kind of, I want them to, to know that I appreciate them attending. You know, it's funny, Carl. I, I, I think, you know, you're talking about the trophies. Um, I mean, if you look at, you know, plaques and trophies and things like that they're not that expensive um but boy they are cool like i'm i'm sitting here on the third floor right now and looking across uh to the other side of the uh uh room 
And I still have a best painted trophy that I got at uh, an event uh, run by uh, Travis Wayforth. And like, I have that on my shelf and it didn't cost much money to get made. Um, but it means a lot to me and I have it there. Um, but, uh, the one thing I really wanted to kind of dig a little bit further into Carl is you mentioned that fantasy event that really you became a loyal attendee of, was there anything specific that, that, that fostered that feeling, um, beyond what you've already talked about? Um, but numerous things really, I think as well, uh, the, the main thing was the, the guy who hosted it, uh, the guy who ran the tournament and the couple of people who he, um, you know, who helped him just had the right attitude. You know, they were likable people. They, um, I could identify with them on a playing level. So if anything, um, it, it probably, the people who you don't want going to your event, the people that, you know, uh, like a bad gamers, so to speak, um, yeah. got weeded out and, you know, kind of, I, no one wants to go to an event, um, you know, again, in your free time and have to put up with someone who's just being a proper annoying ass. And, um, mm-hmm. I think that they did a great job of getting a like-minded bunch of players together. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a really overriding factor. Um, other things would, you know, they'd just have kind of things in between rounds or during the rounds and uh, things that aren't necessarily as easy to do in Malifaux because you don't want to force people to play a certain way. But it was something that was applicable in, um, in Warhammer Fantasy. Um, but yeah, again, it, they just had a, a high level of, um, quality in terms of trophies. You know, they would give you, um, like tournament branded dice, but it was a full set of dice. So not, um, Right. So you'd use them all weekend and you know, each year you went, you would know you've been that year because um, there's a specific color. Um, just just yep. little things like that. And they're the ones that all make um, the event seem that bit nicer, you know, a bit more professional and a, um, but also a personal touch as well. Yeah, I think, um, uh, I think that's a big deal. Um, you know, and, and the hardest part, uh, to get right or the easiest part to get right, depending on who you are, but kind of, I think the host sets the tone, right? And then the community over time decides, you know, what this event's going to look like. How about you, David? What are, what are some things that, um, that you've done both, you know, as a community and, uh, as an event, you know, if somebody who runs events, what are, what are some, uh, some tricks and tips or some perspectives we can give, uh, other henchmen across the world? I think, um, Carl's reminded me of a good one, which is the the, the swag, so-called. So yeah. if you go to an event, you get a little something, and it can be something that's almost insignificant. So I run a, a, an Easter-themed event called Hall of Eggs, um, which started off because we had a, um, some egg haulers, which was a limited edition model, Gremlin model. Um, and I did a token, so a 30 mil marker, and we've done that every year. So we're, I think we ran number six or number seven this year. And, uh, we've done a different color every year. And I've had people go, oh, I really missed your event last year. I haven't got the, 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 the green one or whatever. And there's, you build that loyalty for events. So I've got a number of events that I get so much hassle if I don't run them. Yeah. And, yeah. and people are so disappointed. They can't. So you, you're building that loyalty. And uh, as Carl said, you build it up because you run. You're in a, a good quality event and almost it, it's, you don't notice the TO. Right. 
Yeah, the community in, in a way that's a good yeah. Well, yeah, the, the event, the, the event, the event seems to run itself, right? And I think that's the key because yeah. without the TO there, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> it would be, it would be, it would be a shite event because the TO does stuff that people don't notice, right? And, and a good, a good smooth running event. And you know, if I think back to, you know, I've been running tournaments in 2010, 2011. Um, and I've tried, you know, various formats, three rounds, four rounds, fixed master, fixed pool, fixed faction, everything. And you you do different events and you find out what works and you talk to the community. Um, when we first started, there was a prize for first place, second place, third place. And eventually, and people coming back saying, oh, yeah, I, I keep, I, I win, you know, you get some players will win, win every event or win, you know, podium every event. And I said, oh, I've already got these these things. I mean, that's where we moved to raffles. Right. So now you turn up to an, a, a, a Malifo event, and with one or two exceptions. So Hall of Eggs, the first place, always gets an Easter-themed Malifo prize and always will. I've got I've got stock for next year already. Um, so, um, but generally, you, you, your first place, you get shiny. You get a shiny trophy or, um, you know, something, a certificate, depending on, the, the the organizer and the size of the event and you know how they want to spend their money yep um and then the importance of the event so the gts tend to have a nice prize i'm looking at some really uh unique uh trophies for the for the uk nationals um secret um <laughs> trophies. <laughs> and 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 uh last year we provided a, a, a resting belt for the for the um for the nationals yeah, and hopefully they're doing the same this year, which is which is a hell of a hell of a good prize. Um, but we 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 work to this place where the, there's basically a pool of prizes, which anybody who turns up for the event can win, and the different TOs run that in different ways. So I, you know, my normal events is you get a ticket for turning up, and that's your that's a raffle ticket. Um, the the GT last weekend uh, that Tom ran, you got a You've had a painted crew. You've got a ticket per round. Yep. Um, if you uh, got a best player or a most sporting player, and there was a couple of them on the bottom of your score sheet that you could hand out, you got an extra couple of raffle tickets. And he ran what we call a skewed raffle. So there's a pot for each prize, and you put half of your raffle ticket in that pot. If you so, if you like, I really wanted the um, crew box, uh, not a crew box, a, um, uh, a KR case, small KR case. So I put all my raffle tickets in one pot. And, and, and it's, you know, so it was that part, it was that prize or nothing. Other right. people, you know, spread across a number of, um, maybe less popular prizes. I went away with two or three, um, things. So that works. That seems to work really well because it means you can turn up for, for your first event, have a, have a, have a good time, maybe not even win a game and walk away with, with something. We, we all have, um, I'm not sure it's a thing. It's a, certainly a thing in the UK, the wooden spoon. Although, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, what's yeah, yours, we Carl? What's your, yeah, Carl ought to explain his um, his last place prize, I think. <laughs> yeah, so um, obviously, it, traditionally, it's, it's a wooden spoon. Um, and I think I think for my first event, I had a wooden spoon. But then I found um, a lovely golden turd that was on um, the pedestal. <laughs> and usually, um, it'd get some witty remark on the, the, um, yeah, on the little plaque that comes with it about, being a bad player, um, 
Yeah. So yeah, that that became a bit of a, a an an on running theme for my events. For yeah, the, the worst player did get um, a nice shiny turd. But uh, and, and I, saying, I don't think it's uh, uh, yeah. It's, I don't think it's the worst player. It's the yeah. it's, it's the player who came to the bottom. And I think part of that is there's a lot of players who celebrate that last place. Yeah. My, my <laughs> friend, one, of, one of my local players, Andy, um, nicest nicest guy, um, terrible Manifo player. Uh, by his own admission, and he was so pleased to go away from the nationals uh, <laughs> two years ago with with a, with a massive wooden spoon. That's um, so funny. And I was so pleased, and um, so my spoons when I do a wooden spoon, they're all hand painted. They have the Manifold logo or M three logo on, and, and uh, the date and the where where you know the it details about the event, and they're all I, I hand paint. And that's that's my if you like my thematic thing. I always give a, a spoon, but it's always a celebration. Right, you went, you came to this event, and you've got away with something. Yeah, it's funny, David. You were describing kind of that raffle format, and it's exactly what we're doing here in the Carolinas, which I think is really interesting. And I just want to kind of um, recap it for those listening to make sure they understand it, because I think this is a really cool thing to do, and it's for all the reasons that David talked about. Because um, let's be honest, you know, you're going to typically see, especially with Malifaux, the same gang of five or six people are going to make podium right from event to event to event, especially local events. Um, you have your top tier players that are going to routinely do well. And um, at, over time, how many nightmare root beer golems are they going to want um, <laughs> if you keep giving them prizes? Right. But um, to take care of them, um, what David and Carl, I think are, are talked about already is, you know, little trophies, um, the, the chips and the 30 millimeter markers that David talked about, <coughs> I think are good. You already know that everybody playing Malifaux is an obsessive collector because they're playing tabletop games and that's what we are. Um, so giving them another thing to collect, I think is really good, but the raffle ticket format. So, and, and David, it's almost identical. It's, it was when you're telling you, when you're relating it, um, it uh, was very familiar to me. So you come up with reasons to give out tickets. Um, so the reasons that we do are uh, similar to David, which is you get a ticket for showing up. You get a ticket for uh, each round that you have a fully painted uh, crew. You get tickets for good sportsmanship. Um, if the TO is walking around and just sees a really good interaction or just two people being good guys, good guys and gals when they're playing each other, maybe a, a rules dispute that they kind of figure out on their own, like two civilized people, he'll throw them a ticket. And then we do exactly what you talked about, David, is you have a buffet of prizes, a crew box here, widgets there, so on and so forth. And you decide where you're going to put your tickets. Do I want three tickets on this and 10 tickets on that? Do I want all 20 towards this prize? And then you do a raffle ticket for each of those individual things. And you've kind of had your own control hand to decide where your odds are. Um, so if for those of you uh, that are henches out there, t uh, TOs out there, try that out. Um, it's something that's been very successful. And it, uh, it's interesting to hear that uh, it's been very good for David as well. Well, and I, I can't even claim credit for it. I pitched the idea off somebody else. So as with all the best ideas, yeah, I don't know where we picked it up at the Carolinas, to be honest with you. It just kind of always was there. Um, uh, one of the um, kind of the original henchmen that um, Don McCormick, who isn't really active now anymore, um, she was the first time I'd ever seen anybody do that. Um, and I think we just all kind of adopted it and loved it. Um, we have a guy that um, engraves wooden spoons for every event. Um, you know, he's got a wood, wood laser thing and he puts the event name on it and stuff like that. Um, it is, it's little stuff like that, 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 that does have an impact. Um, and I find it really, I find it really nice when I, I go to, I play people and they, they get their 
stuff out of the bag and there's one of my markers yeah, in yeah. their bag and because they're still proud to be using you know a hall of eggs marker or a lost love marker or a widget measuring widgets we've done those before um makes life difficult when you're thinking of something different as well yeah and i'll tell you another thing that's that's really minor but i think it does matter and we're starting to see that a little bit more here on state side um is is kind of naming your tournaments um, and you guys do that all the time with Hall of Eggs one, two, three, and four. Uh, uh, um, what, what is it? Uh, North of the Breach or Breach of the North? Um, I think that's clever because it, again, it, it says you know that, that at this time of the year we have this this event and it has a name and it's this is the fifth one and um, I I really think stuff like that as small as it is and you couple that with something commemorative and it, and you don't have to spend a bunch of money to make it i think those are, are things that tos out there should think about um if, if they're not already doing as far as taking care of things between events um uh carl is there anything that um that you know you do as a as a henchman to to kind of keep the game going or to promote events or um what do you do between events yeah, so we, um, as most people probably do in, in their own meta, you know, everyone has a chat group or a, a Facebook group and, you know, it's kind of a become the norm really in, in keeping, uh, communication up. But, uh, one thing that I generally do is kind of post what events are coming up, uh, and kind of yeah. get what, um, like an idea of who wants to go where and, um, you know, who's going to be attending which event and then, um, with that kind of try and get a little crew of us going. Um, and, and usually it, it ends up being quite reliant on me because, um, I'm one of the, the few drivers in, uh, in my area. Um, so I end up ferrying everyone around, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's one bit or, you know, we arrange kind of, we're quite impromptu with, uh, game days. Like I said, we don't, uh, the individuals, the individual areas have set days where they'll, they'll usually play. Um, but then at the same time, you know, we might just kind of, um, ad hoc, we're going to go to, uh, this store today and, um, you know, X, Y, and Z are going to play. So if anyone wants to jump in, you know, come along or, you know, we're going to go, uh, elsewhere. And, and it's just, just things like that, really. Um, and then, yeah, the usual sort of, you know, we all chat about it. We're all kind of, um, talking about what sort of tech we're, we're working out and um things like that so yeah to, to kind of keep us ticking over um it's usually other people's events and it, it's just a way where like i said you know three four five of us will all travel down together make a bit of a day of it um flip some cards have a laugh um but in terms of my actual events uh i'm always kind of thinking what can i do to to make it better than the last one um Yep. So yeah, what sort of swag can, can I come up with? Um, I mean, yeah, we went to the English GT, um, last weekend and the swag there was great. Um, oh, yeah, I saw pictures. Yeah, the, there's a nice book. Um, you know, there's like stickers, scheme marker, um, just, just, and, and the book as well. It is brilliant because, um, you know, I, I, I use a book when I play all the time. Um, for recording down various things, whether it's writing down what I've chosen schemes wise or, um, mm -hmm. tracking people's wounds because I've got like a, a funny OCD thing where I don't really like marking the cards. 
So um, I don't. <laughs> so I end up just writing them in a book. Um, but yeah, and then other little things as well, like things that I think might have gone well or, but, um, you know, to kind of look out for in, in the past and having, um, you know, a, a big tournament um, kind of branded one is, is brilliant. So yeah, I'm always yeah. Um, kind of in between events, always trying to just plot and plan little things and, um, I've got like a, a couple of event ideas that, um, you know, I'd kind of like to try at some point just as a one-off and, um, quite quirky ones. Um, again, you know, they'll still be competitive. They'll still be ranked and things like that, but just, um, just, yeah, working out ways where I can make it more of an experience as well as an event. Um, so yeah, generally kind of, yeah, I think, yeah. And I think, you know, <sighs> Having, having that group chat's a big deal. I think it's something that's helped foster the community that we have here at the Carolinas. Um, and, you know, I got a kick out of it, Carl, when you were talking earlier. It sounded like, you know, I had this image of this training dojo for Alex, <laughs> where, you know, you guys are the sparring partners getting the champion ready for the next representation. But the reason I chuckled is because, um, you know, we have we have we have a, you know, a large group of players. We have, I don't know, 30 plus some odd players, um, spread out through the Carolinas that are, I think, co- you know, core players. And, um, but we're, we identify with our store a little bit too. So we have kind of, you know, a little bit of that as well. How about you, David? Um, are there things that, that you do um, between events really to kind of, you know, keep, keep the, uh, community alive? I think there's, there's things that we, that we were, that we were, um, uh, like maybe a, Enforcer Brawl or a Hedgeman Hardcore Evening. Um, not so much because we're not a very competitive group, although we have got a, you know, a group name and on rankings, we are a, we are the Milton Schemers. And the main reason for that is, um, within, with, with the, the, the tournament tool that's used in the UK bag of tools, um, avoids first round, um, matchups if you're in the same team. And so oh, the, right. the only reason the only reason we formed a team was because I I ran a tournament where one of my players only played in three rounds. People he <laughs> plays every every week. Uh, so, so you know it was unfortunate that was just the way it worked. And even as a TR, I couldn't quite fiddle it. Um, yeah, to to avoid that. But um, so one of the reasons for for doing that. So, so I, there are some. They're not so strong now. At one stage, there was a a very strong team. Um, element within the the tournament scene so we had the uh there was a team called the black jokers and another team the tractor massive um who had their own little thing going in terms of um that both of those teams had um the player who came the lowest placed in the tournament then had a um something they had to wear at the next event <laughs> so it was uh, for the tractor the tractor boys it was a tractor on a on a on a lanyard and then for the <laughs> black jokers it was a thing called mungo mung or something like that who was a just like a voodoo doll <laughs> they had to hang around their neck for the next tournament to show the shame of being you know the, the worst performing player in that in that team and <laughs> that's um, funny that really did at one stage that was quite strong with it with a few of the teams and now it that's that's dropped off to a certain extent the flipping weirds are obviously well known for for being the, the uber competitive team and i don't know is, if, is your team if you've got a group name up in the northwest cup uh so yeah we we do have a group name and um the only thing is it, it's not been uh 
put onto bag of tools yet. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of, it was a bit of an, a long running joke when we didn't have a team name because, um, yeah, we, we just referred to as kind of like the wild northerners. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now we're where we have actually tried to, um, mobilize the team name. We are just waiting for, um, the guys who, who do run, uh, bag of tools to, to set that up. Um, well, what's the name, Carl? Uh, so w- for a while was just the Mersey Malibros, um, because we're all around Merseyside, um, and sure. we're predominantly male. Um, but as we've grown, um, we've actually changed to the Northwest Maller folks because we've got quite a few female players and we incorporate most of the, the uh, Northwest of, of the UK. So, um, yeah, slight little change. Um, but yeah, we, we're, we're planning, I mean, uh, Jamie and the Flipping Weirds uh, do it really well. You know, they've got all their merch and their T-shirts and stuff like yeah. that. And, um, you know, we, we, we are planning to have something similar. Um, and one thing I will be doing is definitely stealing the uh, the forfeit idea for whoever comes last. Um, and because I could think of some quite shameful things to do to some of the players um, for coming. Yeah, and in the right spirit, I think that's great, you know, and it it, um, it, it makes it – and. It, to, and in its own way, makes it a little less serious, right? Uh, and uh, you know, we can all we can all get bent out of shape and be ultra competitive, but we're still pushing little dials around on the table. Um, so let's not take things you know too, too seriously <laughs> at any point in time. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit like the uh, we were saying about the wooden spoon. It's it's celebrating it rather than yeah, um, make it a make it a big um, you know a, a shameful thing of it. It's, yeah, I, I, you can have both. I think you can have a competitive community that plays to win, but also a community that fosters each other, encourages each other, um, acts like a decent human being, you know, during play and everybody still can have fun. It doesn't, you know, a lot of times competitive play will can have a bad rap. And I think it's a bad rap that's typically, in my experience, garnered by other competitive games mm-hmm. uh, or games that are played competitively that really shouldn't be played competitively. Um, I don't see that really with Malifaux. And it's part of the reason why I call myself a competitive player in Malifaux is because I like it. And and it's something, and we're going to talk about kind of the U.S. and in comparison to the U.K., but I think one thing that the U.S. and the U.K. that I get a feeling has is that we, we, ha- we have good communities, like good groups of people. Um, and they either the asshats don't show up or the asshats weed themselves out. Um, and there's just far fewer of them, I think, than it, versus going to a, a 40K tournament um, where mm-hmm. I think uh, you'll see a few more of them. But um, what we're going to do, guys, I want to take one more or uh, take another break. And then when we get back from this break, I'm really interested to hear kind of your perspectives on running demos for new people. Um, so we'll focus on that in the next segment. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code 3rdfloor to get 10% off your 
entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code third floor to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So one of the things that, you know, henchmen are expected to do, encouraged to do is, you know, to get new people to play the game. Um, and, and it happens a couple different ways. You know, one way is, um, you know, hey, you know, Carl, I got a buddy and he's interested in the game. Can uh, can he meet you at the shop on Tuesday and can you show him how to play? Or another scenario is, uh, you know, you're at a, a at a, uh, a gaming convention and you walk up to one of the 50 tables that are showing off their games and, you know, they give you a quick demo of it. So I want to kind of get an idea of it. So, Carl, let's start with you. When um, I tell you that I've got a good buddy of mine who's interested in Malifaux, can he meet you at the shop on Tuesday? Um, what is your approach to that game on Tuesday? How do you do that demo? Yeah, usually um, when, I, when I've run demos in the past, uh, you know, I take a nice variety of models um, just so then you can see a bit of a broader range of, um, of the game. Because I know from myself, um, like I said, when I, when I was gifted that um, Lilith Nephilim box, I just thought, you know, get out, this box is not me whatsoever. And then it, it kind of, it probably delayed me getting into the game. So, um, right. yeah, the first thing I, yeah, I, I'm looking at is what are the best models that I can bring to, to show off the game, um, to show off, yeah, essentially one of Malifaux's strongest points, which is, yeah, a range of generally gorgeous figures. Um, and then in terms of the, the demo game itself, uh, I like to keep them a little bit smaller. So generally going to be about, yeah, thirty to thirty-five soul stones. Um, I'll always have a, a specific fixed strategy. Like M two E demos were great because it'd often be um, extraction, so it forced each other to yep. go to a center point and then kind of showed how it progressed over the game. Um, and then I'd also just again curate the um, the two schemes, so it'd be a scheme that showed off interacting and a, a scheme that shows off um killing and mm -hmm. just just to show that because a lot of people um traditionally who I, i've given demos to are you know games workshop guys and um up until recently most games workshop games were you win by you know killing the most you score the most vps um so it is a very one-dimensional way um route to victory um whereas malifaux not and you know you obviously there's the age-old kind of analogy of someone tabling their opponent but then still going down by a point or two um yeah and so when i when i'm getting a demo uh, when i'm giving a demo should i say I re that's what i've run a i really want to drive into people um and, and not yeah you know, not a concussive blow with a hammer sort of drive but just to keep reminding them that um killing isn't always the best option um and that actually in this particular position it might be useful to you know kind of reset and just kind of keep in mind what what it is um and yeah i think demos that split the schemes up um and again strap the strategy that shows both sides of it quite well um just really gets 
projects what Malifaux's about. And um, again, keep it simple. You know, don't usually put upgrades on stuff. Don't um, mess with Soulstones too much. Um, you know, some people you get a gauge that they're, they're quite, um, yeah, quite a, a good player or they're quite a seasoned sort of tabletop gamer. And you know, you might tweak it for for them, but yeah, generally it's um, yeah, really simple very clear on um what we have to do and very clear on uh, kind of how we can do it without um walking them through it uh you know so they, they feel like they're figuring things out by themselves as well and right. you know, taking that kind of um good feeling for for everything that goes well and yeah that's that's generally pretty much how i approached most most of my demos um and yeah, really just driving that, uh, all the plus points of what Malifaux can offer as a game. So what do you think, Carl, or like, what do you want their key takeaways to be? So when someone walks away from that demo, what are the, what are the, the top three things you want them to know and remember? Firstly would be, um, yeah, I want them to enjoy it. I want them to feel like that, that, that play experience was, was really generous you know they as they're playing it felt good to do what they're doing and it wasn't just kind of running through the motions you weren't just you know move this model i flip this card and kind of it yeah it was a bit dull well, that, that'd be the worst because yeah there's there's times when i've played fantasy and even good games uh, i remember a game particularly where i just my opponent was taking units off as opposed to models and yeah. it just didn't last that long. And afterwards, it's like, yeah, I got the win. You know, this, this opponent just got destroyed. But I thought it's quite a hollow feeling um, because it, it can't have been enjoyable for him just to essentially move everything piecemeal off. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. and I kind of, I don't often see that in Malifaux. Like, it, it does happen. You know, you, you see where some people get absolutely destroyed and annihilated and you just think jesus you know uh, that's a real ass whooping but um <laughs> <laughs> and you know i've had a few of them and um given a few of them and yeah it, it is part of the game but for someone who's you know playing the demo i want them to feel like you know they're itching for more so um yeah, yeah i want them to feel like that card mechanic is clicking and they're understanding the control aspect of a game because for me um as i said before but that that is one of my favorite things about malifo um because like, your cards can still screw you over but not in like nowhere near in the same way as as dice can um so yeah like a big bit is if you can see that those cards are, are actually a, a positive mechanic and then like i said if the game after they've played it they feel like they want to play more or learn more, try more. Yeah. Um, I think they're, they're the big bits. Um, the, the demo has gone well and it, it's come out very positively. Yeah. And I think the one thing that you said, Carl, that really kind of registered with me a lot. And I want to emphasize it is that, um, letting them play the game, don't play it for them. So it, it's, it's one thing to kind of say, you know, here's, your, here's a couple models, here's a crew and I've got my little crew and, you know, here's the, Here's the things and you go over the basics, the nuts and bolts. 
Um, but let them make decisions. You know, don't tell them, no, now you're going to want to do this or no, no, don't do that. That's a bad idea. I, I like that, Carl, pointing out that, you know, you got to let them kind of figure it out and, and also taking the temperature of how experienced they are in tabletop gaming, um, uh, playing to their level of knowledge, not in quality of play, but understanding of the game. And, um, you know, you, it's very easy to overload people because there's a lot to Malifo. Um, so I, I like that approach. David, how about you? Um, how about kind of less of a kind of a, I've got a hot lead, like we talked about with Carl, where, you know, we book it on a Tuesday night. Um, is there a cold lead approach to demoing? Yeah, I think so. I do. Uh, if I talk about um, demoing at shows, which is, I've got, done a lot of, um, it's a quite a different approach. You've got, instead of a hot, an evening, generally, you, you haven't got time to go through a full game. You haven't got two hours. You've probably got, 20, 30 minutes to engage somebody and give somebody an impression of what the game is about enough to, for them to say, yeah, that appeals to me or it doesn't appeal to me. Right. And so to, to me, the biggest thing was the starter set. And it was something I didn't really think the game needed. And I think it was the best thing that happened for the game in terms of getting people involved. And I used to use then, I think it was scenario three out of the starter book, which is um, three monster henchmen, two minions, who were the same. So you've only got two cards to worry about and just used to play effectively assassinate on a, and you play that mm -hmm. over a small area. I'd make, I built myself a nice little, I think it was an 18 inch by 12 inch little demo board. And you'd, you'd play on that. And then for the, um, for the actual table space that we'd have probably three foot or four foot square, you'd have the other crews out. So I, I've got a demo, a bag with, which has just got, almost one of each faction. So I've got a, a Lynch crew and I've got uh, a summer crew who I never play, but uh, I sat there and you, so you can talk to people about the different factions and the different play style. Yep. And then um, depending how interested they are, you can then, you know, take the story wider or, or smaller as, as you wish. But generally people come in and say, how does this game play? So, right, here we are. Um, his, his three models, this is this is your leader, this is some, some other guys, um, and you, you, you've you set it up so you've got about the right distance apart, so there's a bit of movement, there's a bit of shooting, there's a bit of uh, combat, and um, I may have to tune it a bit for third edition, we've not done any third edition yet, uh, in that, in that um, environment, because um, of the timing of the, of the release. Uh, um, but that is... You know, just just giving them the the opportunity, as Carl said, to play it their way, um, and yeah. the, you will soon experience this. The experienced pl players will read the cards. You can always tell. You can always tell the experienced players because the first thing they do is pick the cards and they read both sides of the cards. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, and they're not they're not listening to you anymore. They're, they're reading the cards, and, <laughs> and, you, and you'll be playing the game and trying to keep it simple. And they're going, "Yeah, but I could do this as well." And you're going. Well, well, yeah, you can. You carry on, and especially if you get two. It's, it's always better if you get two people. You get a couple. I mean, getting yeah. couples to play is so much fun because the, you don't need to talk about competitive element there. They've got the rivalry built in. Um, <laughs> you know, if it's two mates, then it's, it's perhaps a little bit less so. But certainly, couples. Is, I've got some of the most fun demos I've ever had have been been couples. I just want to, especially the. The, the 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 lady wants to wants to really be a, a partner, <laughs> uber competitive. You know, it's a it's a funny thing, David. I never thought about it, but um, boy, I would much prefer 
if I was running a demo, not to be one of the players. Um, if you can get two new people, um, especially if they know each other, I think that uh, that's real smart. So, so in that environment um, where you've only really got 30 minutes to kind of show them the game, what do you think are kind of the, the key takeaways? So when someone walks away and they talk to their friend that night at the uh, game convention, they say, hey, did you check out Malifaux? It's got this, this, and this. What are those things you want them to relate? Uh, I would think that probably the biggest thing is the card mechanic because that's the yep. most different thing. And, and and getting them to to understand, which they pick up generally pick up pretty quickly, is the card mechanic. It's the um, it's the movement effect that you can do other things with your um, models rather than just I move, I shoot, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and trying to get that story across. And the fact that it's it's got the aesthetic, so have a, an interesting um, uh, demo table. So I've got a little asylum building that looks like a bit like an asylum, and um, with the asylum models that works really really quite well so you've got the visual aspect to it and just giving them a bit of the story and a bit of the feel of the game so they've got an idea of the the setting because we all know that that's an important part to us i think so yeah, most of most manifold players get the get the setting and get the environment and want to read the fluff well, it's a differentiator, right? It's not just the cards; it's it's the setting. And the and um, you know, when I first came across Malifaux, I thought that the setting was gimmicky, and I thought the card mechanic was gimmicky. And very quickly, they became my two favorite things about the game. <laughs> um, so, no, I think that that's that is that is smart. Um, yeah, I I think that. I'm going to go back to what you said, Carl. I really like it. And David, you touched on it, especially when you talk about getting two people that know each other, playing each other is let them play and um, don't feel they have to learn every rule. Don't Mm -hmm. feel like you want them to walk away, understanding the cards, understanding the cheat mechanic as well, um, having a feel for the setting. Um, And I also like the point that I think David, you made, which was it, it, you don't just move and shoot. You just don't move and whack people that, that models are doing different things. And what we're ultimately doing is saying, this is what's different. This is what makes Malifaux Malifaux and why we love it so much. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And, and, and then giving them a feel if they're, if they're interested that you can then talk about the other crews you've got about. And, you know, you've got the, the Neverborn are quite different from the Gremlins are quite different from the, from the guild, for example, and they can get that feel and people will engage with one of those. You know, we all have our favorite, the crew that we started with or the, um, the faction that we play the most of, although we'll play, perhaps play about with other things. I'm, I'm, I'm a guild player and will always be a guild player. But, yep. I'll, but I'll play other stuff and I'll enjoy playing. I've been playing Akima recently and I've been having the most fun. Um, but, but you know, I will go back to playing Guild. You're still a Guild man. <laughs> I'm still a Guild man, I'm afraid so. <laughs> That's funny. All right, guys, we're going to take one last break. And when we get back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about um, if there are differences between uh, how the U.S. looks and plays the game and how the U.K. does. So we'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast.
Um, so I've had a lot of conversations, um, you know, about, uh, you know, the UK, the US, and there was, um, you know, discussions. Um, we, I think it was, what, two years ago that we had a US team come over for the, uh, uh, the, the team, uh, team championship that was over there in the UK. Um, but, uh, something that made me think about this is I actually had a conversation with, of all people, Alex, uh, earlier today or late yesterday. And, uh, we were talking about, uh, I don't know how it came up, but I said, you know, at some point I want to have kind of a third floor wars Royal rumble where we get, uh, you know, you know, Varney and Doxy and, uh, and Alex, uh, uh, three, three players. And, you know, we'll get, uh, uh, Cody Hyatt, we'll get Steve Bynum and, uh, you know, some, some other top, you know, through another top player and you kind of a U.S. versus U.K. Royal Rumble. And, uh, Alex, without even hesitating, says, well, you guys, you guys will kill us. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, you think so? And he goes, yeah, you guys, he goes, and this is his impression. He said, you know, you guys play a more, a far more cutthroat, ruthless game than we do over here. And that kind of prompted me to think, to see what would, what do you guys, do you guys agree with Alex? Do you think that, um, you know, that the, that the U S has a different way to play it? How about you, David? Do you think, do you understand where Alex was coming from when he said that? Yeah, I understand that. I, I ran the, the last ITC, um, and attended the previous one as a, um, as a judge and general helper and the, the attitude of those players was, more competitive and i think there's i think there's two elements to it i think maybe there is that more competitive element but also you've if you spent a large amount of money to travel, <laughs> to travel over are you going to be doing it for your competitive apart right. from and, and, and my exception would be the spanish guys who attended the itc who obviously traveled over from spain and they'd done it just for the crack and they had the most fun <laughs> and I, I I really appreciated that, and um, we've got some of them. Some of them are over for the uh, for the UK nationals in, in November, um, and and I know they'll just have to, they'll be fun. So some guys are coming over to be to be super competitive because they're competitive players, um, and some guys are coming over just because they they enjoy the um, the atmosphere and just playing some games and playing some different people. Um, so certainly from from my experience of ITC the Polish teams and the American teams were more competitive than uh, the Brits and some of the other teams that were there who, who traveled if you put together a top you know the top British team then maybe they'd be more competitive and i have to say the flipping weirds are um have whipped out of uh, these these events so far and i'm not quite sure why and uh, that's an interesting, an interesting point that I shall leave open because I'm not going to judge that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we use the term, you know, that they're more competitive, David. Um, when, when, when you say that, what exactly does that mean? I think it just seems that the, the attitude that I've seen, I don't think that necessarily they're necessarily a better player on the table. Right. But there's certainly you could, you know, the feeling you got as a, uh, as the organizer was observer in, in, in the two years was, was that was, there was that element of we really want to win and we will, you know, there's a, because the way the ITC works and you're pairing off against people is very much more, you know, trying some aggressive tactics with the crews. And I think certainly in general tournament play in the UK, you, you get it occasionally, but generally you, you, you're perhaps stepping it back a, a a a um, level 
in the majority of your games, and then maybe you'll step it up for um, play one of top, the other top, top level table. players. Yeah, and yeah. the other place you potentially see it is in the Masters. So we have a Masters event in the UK, which is the top sixteen ranked players in the UK. So they get an invite to uh, uh, an event, which is a two day event. We run a run it as pools on the first day. So pools, four pools of four. Uh, so everybody plays everybody in that pool, and then the top two from each pool will then go into a pure knockout second day. Um, mm-hmm. And so the first day tends to be perhaps a little more relaxed. The second day can get very, very intense, and it's quite a difficult um, uh, event to, to run up in the last few years. And uh, the master side of it, and it, some of those games can get pretty, pretty tense. Uh, it depends who the players are, but yeah, that's quite interesting uh, event to run. Yeah, I bet. Well, having it having it be a knockout on the second day, I would imagine. I mean, you lose, you're done. Um, so that's got to be intense. How about you, Carl? Does is what David and Carl, uh, Alex talking about make sense? So yeah, um, me and Alex talk quite a lot because you know obviously we're we're pretty close to each other and uh, we are. Yeah, pretty good friends. And this is, uh, we kind of discuss the mentality side of, I think the UK and, and US matters. And, um, yeah, it, I think it often comes across that, um, yeah, the, the US players are you know, potentially more cutthroat, but, or more calculated in, in kind of the decisions we make. Um, I, I I've listened to a, a fair amount of podcasts and, um, obviously Travis's podcast, um, when he used to do it was, was max value and um kind of that always struck me as uh, a very american ideal in the sense that it, it's getting the absolute um maximum for the for the minimum it's kind of like the mm-hmm. like an, an 80 20 sort of ideology and it, it's it's in, interested me anyway um and it, it's something I, I look into outside of malifaux but um yeah i think that um a lot, a lot of the top states players um, go in it with a very methodical approach, and I'm not saying that us in the UK don't, um, but I think, uh, particularly from conversations that, that me and Alex have, is sometimes it can come across that the the guys and, and girls in the states are uh, every, a lot of things are black and white. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I don't know, X model is going to do this and I've got the cards to make sure this will happen irrespectively. And, you know, that's just a, a logical way of playing it. Um, right. But I think uh, particularly the way me and Alex talk about playing is uh, we often have kind of the gray areas. Like, you know, we might risk it more um, if we don't have it and just on the off chance that um, your opponent doesn't have um, a high enough card, so you, know, you, you still there's a risk element, or you know, and it, it could backfire. Um, and you know, it might be that actually, when it comes down to the game, um, you know, some players will just do it. Um, I think Cody mentioned it um, in the the Nova Roundtable that he he just had the feeling that his deck was going to be hitting those high cards, and he just mm-hmm. kind of um, flipped and hoped and. Sometimes you get that feeling, and um, but I think part of the um, the reason why us Brits potentially have a perception that um, the American players are more competitive is it 
certain players come across a bit more rigid and mechanical in that viewpoint. And um, I mean, I didn't play the ITC where Travis came over, um, but I know, well, Travis and Larry um, and the other guys, but I do speak to, because we had an Austrian on their team, Tristan, and I talk to Tristan yes. every now and again. Um, Great guy. Yeah, lovely guy. Um, a, a friend of mine lived in Austria, so I've, I've been out a few times and popped in Tristan's shop last time I was there, or the, the shop he, he works at, and um, was talking, obviously, Malifaux, because you know, it's a universal language to, to Malifaux players. <laughs> and um, you know, he had adopted um, kind of the, the similar viewpoint. And um, so it was interesting kind of talking firsthand because obviously I've, not met Travis or Larry or any of the other guys, you know, uh, I've not, not been to the States to, and or had those conversations. Um, so yeah, that was as close to kind of having that conversation and the, the kind of mental approach to, um, how, you know, they played foe. And, um, yeah, obviously as of, as of the last ITC and there was an American team, um, but we, we didn't play them um, mainly because we had a dropout and loitered around the, the low tables because we, we were always losing around. <laughs> but um, our first game was against the Polish team that, that won. And um, I, I think people being competitive can have positive and negative connotations. So some people yep. are like, oh, they're, they're a super competitive team. And it might be that actually they're not a very social team. Um, right. So like, the Polish players um, were all very good players, and you know it was it was a really it was an enjoyable game from a strategic point of view. Um, however, from the social aspect, um, it wasn't necessarily the most interactive or sociable game. Um, yep, and that's because you know, like, like I think Dave hit the nail on the head perfectly when people travel a long <clears throat> a long distance to. Um, to come and play an event, then as they are looking to do as well as possible. Um, yeah. And for some people, that means that they're kind of in the zone, they're focused, and you know, they're not going to let their guard slip or they're um, you know, not going to get caught off by you know, sort of being extra sociable. Um, you know, that, can be, that could be after the, the day's games, you know, when you have a drink or something to eat. Um, yeah, but it might just be that they are in the zone and they're um, you know, focusing solely on, on Malaphone. I think um, we probably come across a little bit more casual, uh, particularly at the team tournaments, because we've not put together um, a team of you know, the very best um, right. players because we're playing in our local groups and, um, yeah, I, I, you know, you might have uh, the York guys and, you know, a couple of them might be um, a bit lower down the, the curve, say, um, or, you know, the same with our group. Um, you know, we went and we had one person who was really like, on fire and won most of his games. And then with the rest of us, um, you know, we weren't quite firing on all cylinders like they were. So, you know, some people dragged the team down, but we kind of, we're representative of our area and it's easier to do that just because um, the UK is smaller, you know, we're right. Teams generally aren't traveling as far to, um, to represent at the ITC. Whereas, you know, 
the guys from the States are flying probably six and a half thousand miles. You know, the guys from Poland are flying, you know, um, hundreds, maybe a thousand miles, you know, um, yep. and, and they're invested in it. And, um, whereas, you know, we're there, we're st- you know, still going to try and win our games. Um, but also there's, you're seeing people you might not have seen for a while. Um, yep. and yeah, just a, a big social side of it. Um, well, and the imp- the import teams are, are are a little bit of a dream team, which I think you're alluding to, Carl, mm-hmm. because you know we're not sending five teams from the U.S. We sent one team, uh, and you know the same from the Polish group. So it's going to be a little bit more of the best of the best, whereas the talent probably in the uh, U.K. was spread around a little bit. I think in fairness to the to the American guys that came off, they, they there wasn't a best of the best team. It was just the guys that were that were available to to come over. They happened to be all good all good players. So. Uh, I think we, there, there was some argument about that, or some discussion about that. Um, yeah, in the, in, the, in the past, it wasn't the best of the best team from America. It was the, the five guys who happened to know each other and, and, and travelled out together. That's definitely. So I think if they, if you brought the best of the best team over, we'd really be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and I can tell you. So a couple thoughts I had, you know, listening to both of you, and I thought both of your perspectives were, were fascinating. Um, you know, to a certain degree, um, because there's a reasonably sized ocean between. Uh, you and us, um, our perceptions are skewed based off of what's available f- for information. Um, you know, so, you know, the Max Value podcast, uh, uh, rest in peace, was uh, <laughs> was my favorite podcast. Um, and, you know, Travis's podcast was devoted to, uh, you know, analytical, uh, you know, competitive play. Um, and uh, that builds a perception. I mean, you, you look just within the U.S., there is a perception that the East Coast is far more competitive than the rest of the country. And, you know, based on the information available, maybe, um, you know, it uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure. The one thing I need to make very clear, though, is that in no way does Larry represent the U.S., uh, in any shape, form, or anything. <laughs> so <laughs> he is a unique animal and he is Larry. Uh, he's a buddy of mine and I like Larry, um, but does not represent necessarily what, uh, the U.S. competitive player is. Um, but that's, it's interesting. And I've, um, I've really enjoyed, um, trying to get, um, you know, different groups on the show. Um, coming up, we're going to have an episode devoted um, to the Russian nationals. So I spent uh, an hour or two with uh, the podium from Russia um, and their event, and it was very interesting to hear them talk about Malifaux. Um, I also need to get some of the Aussies um, on the show um, because I think it's good for all of us to hear um, you know, how different people approach the game and how they look at the game. Um, you know, and one thing that you guys both alluded to too is from a geography standpoint, obviously the US and the UK are very different. It's probably better to compare maybe the East Coast to the UK than it is to compare the states to the, to the UK. Um, but David, you, uh, during the break, you and I were kind of chatting and I thought there was something really neat that you guys have kind of developed there. Can you talk a little bit about the group calendar? Yeah. So we had a situation of, ooh, 2011 2012 where there were events happening the same weekend and they were distracting from each other you know you've only got a limited number of players and so we set up a calendar which the original intention was all the henchmen would have access to it but in the end it's um it's been me who basically picks up events that appear on facebook or on the on the forum and just put them in a in a in a a shared format um and so therefore you can see uh, from two points of view, one is I'm a TO and I want to run an event in three months' time. 
it could be this weekend or that weekend. You can look on the calendar and see if there's other events on the, in on that weekend. Um, and if one's in the south of England and you're in the north of England, not, not a problem. If it's in the similar sort of area, then maybe you avoid that weekend and have it, you know, a, a different weekend. But also as a player, um, you you want to pick out the the tournaments that you that you want to go to, or when you're free. Hey, I'm free next weekend. What could where can I travel? Okay, there's an event that's two hours away. I'm willing to go to that. I'll I'll go to that event. So it was it was there to, to promote events um, to the community. You got one place to go that's very easy to see. Everybody understands the calendar. Um, yeah. Sometimes on the forum or on Facebook, it's a bit difficult, a bit more difficult to find the events. But it's 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 proved very successful. It's very easy to maintain, um, and it's a. Uh, the, the regular players, the regular tournament players, especially, know they can go there and, and find out what events are on and um, where they want to uh, manage their uh, weekends or um, plan their their months ahead and negotiate with their their other halves who may or may not uh, release them <laughs> for the weekend. You know, and the, yeah. to be honest, the uh, the English the English GT was moved a week to avoid my son's wedding. So <laughs> nice. These things, look up, these look, things have to happen. <laughs> Look how important you are, David. Isn't that impressive? <laughs> uh, I don't uh, think it was me that was important. I think it was the piles of boxes of trade that were in my garage that were important. But uh, <laughs> You have leverage. <laughs> I do have a bit of leverage. Yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, one of the things that Ray and I are talking about is having something like that for the U.S. Uh, built around the U.S. faux tour um, on Third Floor Wars. So right now, you know, we do have events listed that are turned into us. Uh, upcoming events are available by conference. But one of the things that I've started talking to uh, Ray about, and maybe by the time this is released, it'll already be there, is, is really that master calendar that um, is easy to navigate, especially for somebody who says, you know, I got a business trip in Boston. Is there anything, you know, close mm-hmm. to the hotel or something like that? So um, I do like that idea. Uh, gentlemen, this was, uh, this was great. Um, I appreciate both of you making the time, especially, uh, we're recording this on a weekend. Um, so to, for you guys to set aside, uh, time on the weekend is appreciated. And, uh, I look forward to definitely having both of you back on. And David, I definitely want to talk to you, um, after, uh, the next big event. Um, and, uh, especially I want to learn how, what it's like to run an event with 80 some odd people. Uh, playing. So we'll definitely bring you back, uh, when that happens. And, and of course, the year following when you crush the 120 record, which is going to happen. We'll have to have you back on. And Carl, I will, uh, I'll see you in the uh, Rezzer chat. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Uh, no doubt <laughs> defending Seamus and the Red Chapel while everyone <laughs> tears into bits. <laughs> well, I can tell you, um, uh, and uh, you guys haven't heard it yet because it hasn't been released while we're recording this, but people listening to this now will have heard it. Um, the uh, Steve Bynum Seamus deep dive, um, I think, is going to bring a lot more people over to your camp, Carl, that uh, Seamus and Red Chapel have play um, because, boy, a lot of people are talking bad stuff about Red Chapel, but it's hard not to listen to that uh, deep dive from Steve and not go, well, uh, I think that there is play. And you've been making that argument for a long time. Yeah, sometimes uh, it felt like I was the only guy making that argument. But um, no, I look forward to the, the episode from from Stephen about it because um, usually uh, he's, he's got quite a um, – a perspective that I actually enjoy and probably share. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what he's 
what he's done, um, what horrible things he's he's plucked out of the red jacket. <laughs> yeah, it, um, yeah. His uh, the the reason I like you know Stephen's a common guest for us, and part of the reason is is not only is Stephen just a good dude, um, but um, I, I to your point, Carl, I find Stephen to have a very unique perspective on the game. Um, and it turns out that I think it's also an effective perspective as far as, you know, winning games. Uh, but more than that, um, I, I like how he looks at the game and I think it's a little bit different and, um, hopefully the listeners have enjoyed it because, um, it makes you, there's sometimes that he'll say something or he'll approach something that'll make you go, well, you know what? I never thought about it that way. Um, which is really one of my goals, um, here on the podcast. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, thanks again, David, take care of yourself, Carl, take care of yourself and uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Craig. All right, cheers. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes.